0: Male and female and marriage together represent and image forth and picture forth and manifest the very nature of God and part of the glory of God. And that's what we as Christians need to focus on. And not just, well, you know, can somebody get government benefits or health insurance or, or all of those things? And And when we realize that we exist for the glory of God and to demonstrate, to magnify, to show forth, to picture before the world the glory of God, marriage is that thing he's given to us that he said, nah, now this is good. Incredible
1: as it may seem, we can no longer assume that people in our culture understand what the proper definition of marriage and the family is. Not only is this a sad commentary on the impact of same-sex marriage activists on our society, it also shows how the culture's memory of the biblical tradition, which it's largely based, is fading fast. What is marriage, biblically defined? And what is the biblical definition of family? Hi, and welcome to today's show on Bot Radio Network across the state of Tennessee. I'm Byron Tyler, Program Director for the Bot Radio Network station in Memphis. Today we have David Fowler, who's the president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. David, welcome to Bot Radio Network.
0: Well, it's great to uh, to be with you, Byron. Great to be with your listeners. And I am no stranger to them, although they may think I'm strange.
1: Well, anybody born in Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia, there's got to be something special about them.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what it is, but yeah, Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia, it's not very well known, but it's right next to uh, uh, Rossville. So, uh, you know, probably people are familiar with Rossful. I just tell people I'm from Chattanooga. That works pretty well.
1: Tell me about the family, David, because I don't think I know much about those early years of the Fowler home.
0: Actually, now if you want to talk early years, I'm 61 years old, and I was born in 1958, but I grew up. Uh, my dad was a bivocational choir director, actually. He was a CPA, but he directed music in church choirs, and uh, my mother had a beautiful soprano voice, actually had an opportunity to auditioned for the Metropolitan Opera, but decided she needed to be at home and raise her son and all that sort of stuff. But she and Dad led revival music in churches throughout the, the whole Chattanooga area. So uh, so I, I was almost on the pew more than the typical preacher's kid, because I was there on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then in three or four revivals all week every summer. And uh, and that's sort of my growing up, But but went off to law school after college and came back, practiced law, and ran for the state senate in 1994, served till 2006 when we started this organization. Somewhere in the middle of all of that stuff, right in the middle of law school, I married uh, my college sweetheart. We've been married 38 years, and we have a grown daughter with two twin grandchildren who are four months old now.
1: The highlight I know of your life is being a grandpa, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, it, it's just great fun. And, you know, one of the Exciting things that I didn't really appreciate so much is, but when our daughter, who's 31, was was born, you know, you had to take pictures and then finish up the roll and then take them in and get them developed. So grandparents couldn't see pictures every day. And now our daughter just takes a picture anytime she wants and texts it to you. I love that. So, yeah, it, it, it's really, uh, re- really nice to sort of watch them grow.
1: Yeah, as a grandfather of two little precious girls, I love those emails and texts of pictures that my son and daughter-in-law send me.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just wonderful. So, uh, it, it, but it makes you appreciate family, and it makes you appreciate. A friend of mine said, "You know, it, it's great to have your own children, but when you see sort of this sense of progeny and and succession on down, that that it really strikes you that family and blood ties and biological kinship is a big thing, and it and it really provides a sense of cohesion in society." that is being lost when those, what I would call organic or native allegiances are, are being lost because the family dissolves. And so we really wind up with no allegiance to anybody other than ourselves. That's a great loss in our culture.
1: And David, those organic and native ideas basically have their roots in the Bible, don't they?
0: Sure, absolutely they, they do. And, of course, some of what's precipitated our, our conversation today is we, we launched an initiative in, in the state here of Tennessee called God-Given Marriage. And we're asking a really simple question, but sometimes you have to go back to the, to the simple fundamental questions to, to make sure you didn't get off track somewhere and, and the question that we're asking, is marriage some an institution that was created and given to us by the civil government, by passing laws, or is it God-given? And, um, you know, once you decide that question, then it leads you to all other kinds of answers about, well, what's the government's role in relation to this? If the government creates it, well, then the government can create marriage to be anything it wants to be, right? If If it comes from God, well, then maybe government's not free to change what... God has done. Can the leper change his spots? Can, the, can you make the, the crooked straight? And so you really need to answer that fundamental question, and, and we've just kind of gone through, particularly after the Supreme Court thought it could redefine marriage, just saying, oh, well, I guess that's what it is now, without stopping and going back to the fundamental foundational question. Is marriage something that's created by government and given to us, or is it something that's given to us by God?
1: Well, David, since the lines of marriage seem to be a little blurred for some people, why don't we just go ahead and talk about what is the biblical definition of the family?
0: The, the Bible speaks about uh, the, the family being the, the unity of two diverse beings, um, a male and a female, and it joins them together. And in that diversity, and in that unity that that marriage is, we have a revelation of the very nature of the triune God itself, who is diverse in persons, but one in essence. And, and so, you know, we, we get into all kinds of disputes, particularly in churches, about marriage and uh, benefits and, you know, why can't people get certain benefits and all that, but for the Christian we need to stop and say everything's rooted in the nature and character of God, and everything that God created had to be consistent with his nature and his character. And we know that the creation reveals to us truth about the creator, though, you know, in our fallenness, we, we, we don't often see things right, we, and it's not a complete revelation. But when God made us, he was making us so that we would get a better picture of him, and so he made us his image bearers, so that we could get an image of him. And the one place you know that he stopped in creation was with Adam, and he said, this isn't good. And, and by that, we know he didn't mean, well, gosh, I made an imperfect human being who can't keep the law of God I've written on his heart. Oh my, I messed up. I, I should have made him better. He was talking about the fact that Adam singularly did not reflect the triune nature of God. So God said there must be multiplicity, but not just multiple Adams. What we need is diversity within that multiplicity. So he created a female to reflect that diversity that is within the persons of the Godhead. But then he said, but, but it's not just diversity, and it's not just multiplicity. It needs to have a unity to it. So, to further reveal to man, in man, the very nature of God, he made woman out of man. And so, male and female and marriage... Together, represent and image forth and picture forth and manifest the very nature of God and part of the glory of God. And that's what we as Christians need to focus on. And not just, well, you know, can somebody get government benefits or health insurance or or all of those things? And, And when we realize that we exist for the glory of God and to demonstrate, to magnify, to show forth, to picture before the world the glory of God, marriage is that thing He's given to us that He said, nah, now this is good. I created woman out of man, and I've joined the two together. And then out of that, they can produce children and create even as I create. But the fundamental element of marriage is that it reveals the triune nature of God, unity and diversity. And so when the law says, no, marriage is only sameness, marriage is only multiplicity, it is denying the very image of God, and Christians should care that those things that are exalted up contrary to and hide and obscure the the, 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 the knowledge of God, as it says in Second Corinthians 10.5, we should be trying to pull those things down. And, and that's what we're trying to do here in Tennessee is to say, no, 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 we want you to see the beauty, the glory, the majesty of God having made us male and female and brought us together in marriage. So that's, that's really the foundation of marriage. Well, David,
1: there's very important constitutional questions that were created by the U.S. Supreme Court's decision on marriage, Obergefell versus Hodges. Would you mind explaining this a little?
0: Sure. Yeah, that, that's a case decided by the United States Supreme Court June 26th of 2015. And what had happened is um, uh, homosexual couples in Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, and Michigan had all sued about various aspects of state law regarding marriage in those states. And they said that it violated their constitutional rights, that they were not allowed to get marriage licenses in those states, or that their marriages, if they were same-sex marriage in California or New York or Delaware or someplace like that, that the state wouldn't recognize it when they moved there. So the Supreme Court had the licensing laws and the recognition laws in front of them, and they said that, well, it is unconstitutional for a state to issue licenses for marriages And limit the licenses to only men and women. And so if you're going to issue licenses for marriage, you have to issue licenses to same-sex and opposite-sex couples. In other words, you can no longer define by your licensing statutes marriage according to God's law. You have to leave out the male and the female. And that's what the Supreme Court of the United States decided back in, in 2015. And that's what our initiative on God-given marriage is is really challenging.
1: For those of us who've been married in holy matrimony, you know, I've been married to my wife for 35 years. You just mentioned that you and your wife have been married for 38 years. This seems to minimize the union that we stand upon between us and God.
0: Well, it's essentially, we have to, to realize that what, what the Supreme Court did is that they, they said that we are not really made male and female. As far as the law and the Constitution concern is concerned, we are androgynous beings. So you can substitute, when a woman wants to get married, you can substitute another woman for a man, because we're all the same. Legally, constitutionally, there is no distinction. So at, at a very fundamental level, the Supreme Court said there is no male nor female anymore. They're just androgynous beings. And and let me give you an example of why why that's what the Supreme Court did. This is not a case of the Supreme Court saying, well, we're going to allow um, blacks and whites now to marry. Instead of just whites to whites and blacks to blacks, we can now have more combinations of people. The Supreme Court said, no, 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 no. Sex is irrelevant to the definition of marriage, which means that our sex must be irrelevant. Now, let me give you the example of that. that. That may twist people's minds around. But we would sit here and we'd say, well, what do you call a shape with four equal sides and all of the sides are at right angles? If you go back to your 8th or ninth grade geometry class, you'd say, oh, four equal sides, right angles, that's a square. And we'd say, yes, that's right. And then we would notice that there's another shape that has all right angles in it, but it only has three sides, and they're all of equal length. And somebody would say, well, well, that's a square. And we'd say, no, 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 no. By definition, that's not a square because it only has three, and a square has four. So when the Supreme Court comes along and then says, oh, but all triangles and all squares are the same thing, we've just now obliterated real distinctions, and we've said three lines, four lines, it really just doesn't matter. So when you do the same thing for marriage and say marriage is defined as a man and a woman, and then say, no, 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 marriage is not defined that way, you've obliterated the distinction between men and women.
1: And that's why this issue of gender neutrality is so critical right now.
0: Oh, absolutely. And people don't understand that the very first sentence of the Obergefell decision is, the Constitution promises liberty to all within its reach to define and express their identity. So that's why, if people want to know what's happened over the last four or five years, that all of a sudden we've gone from, fights over sexual orientation to whether a man can, can win the Women's World Cycling Championships, you know, and, and uh, all these other things, and boys are in girls' bathrooms and showers and locker rooms. How did that happen so fast? Well, there it is. It's Obergefell. The very first sentence says, you, you have a liberty to define and express your identity. You don't have a God-given identity. Your bodies don't matter anymore. It's what you think in your head. That you are, and that's what you are, and and so, the homosexual community and the transgendered community, the liberal community, better understands what Obergefell did than the Christian community. We kind of yawned like we did with abortion forty three years ago, and said, "Well, I guess Bob and Fred can get married. Well, let's just go on. It doesn't matter. You know, they're a nice couple down the street, and they poop scoop their dog, and they mow their yard, and they take their trash cans back every day." So. We should go on. But law is about more than that. Law reflects an underlying moral and ethic. And, and, and that just got changed by the United States Supreme Court for everybody. And so everybody's afraid of the United States Supreme Court. They're afraid of being boycotting. So we just all lay down and, and let the world change in front of us and wonder why.
1: David, I've heard you talk about the Ninth Amendment of the Constitution and how it's fueled much of your efforts. Can you explain in lay terms how you believe the Ninth Amendment breathes life into this?
0: Yeah, it, it's actually interesting. The Ninth Amendment is sort of the forgotten amendment. You know, uh, we don't know about it.
1: And by the way, most of us don't know anything about amendments, not to mention the Constitution itself, other than a few select scenes.
0: It's true. We're, we're very constitutionally ignorant. But we know that there's a freedom of speech and a freedom of religion, supposedly. And there's a freedom of, uh, you know, we have uh, Second Amendment rights on guns and search and seizure. So there are a lot of things. We may not know what amendment they're in. But we know that there are, there are constitutional amendments, and of course we're familiar with the 14th Amendment with you can't be deprived of your life, liberty, and property without due process of law. So, so we're familiar with those notions, but the, the reason we're not familiar with the Ninth Amendment is because it doesn't spell one out. So we kind of ignore it. Well, what does it talk about? Well, I don't know, but here's why it's so important. It was added to make clear that we had other rights than the ones we enumerated. In other words, we realized that we don't want a Constitution that spells out every right that we might have. It would go on and on and on and on and on. You have a right to breathe. You have a right to listen and hear. Uh, we spelled out a few things, like you have a right to speech, you know, a right to some measure of liberty. The Ninth Amendment says that the enumeration of rights in the Constitution, such as the right to bear guns, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the enumeration of certain rights shall not be construed to deny Or disparage other rights that are retained by the people. So the Constitution acknowledges that we have more rights than are enumerated or listed in the Constitution. And so the question is well, what are those other rights? For that, in the United States, and when our Constitution was drafted, we understood that we had certain rights as Englishmen because we came from England. So the history of those rights is great from the from the Magna Carta to the English Bill of Rights to you know so on and so forth, we've developed those. They all became a part of what was called the common law, and people may have heard of the common law. And the common law is the notion that there are just some things that are so established in our custom, in our history, in our tradition, that go back so far we don't even remember where it was we first did it. Remember when you you know made some friend and you're trying to think, how is it we first met? I can't even remember anymore. And, and that's what the common law was. And he said, these things are so great, so real, so so true, so accepted, that we don't need to enact a statute to do them. We all know that people enter into marital relations. We don't have to have a statute that says people get married. They just, just just do. They've been doing it since, you know, in our view, Adam and Eve, right? Those were the rights at common law. Those are the rights the Ninth Amendment was referring to. So what we're doing is we're saying, well, Supreme Court, you have taken the position that marriage was created by government and that men and women only have certain rights in a marital relationship when they come from the government by passing a statute down at the capitol. But actually, the Ninth Amendment acknowledges that there are other rights that don't come from government. They exist prior to government. They're not dependent on government. They're pre-political. And one of those things is, of course, life, and we're talking about that issue, and another piece of legislation, but also the right of men and women to come together in marriage, in a marital relationship, and have the government acknowledge and enforce the obligations of marriage, the rights and obligations of marriage. And those don't come from the government. They're just a part of the nature of what things are. And so you can have your Obergefell decision under the 14th Amendment, but we're going to reclaim the right to a natural, God-given marriage in Tennessee. That's not the kind of marriage the Supreme Court dealt with in Obergefell. So therefore, we're just going to disregard what Obergefell said, because it wasn't talking about our kind of marriage.
1: So this would only impact the state of Tennessee, then?
0: Well, what we're specifically proposing would, but, but what we're proposing could be used in any number of states. In fact, 30 something states passed constitutional amendments on marriage and to be honest, just like Tennessee, they're just ignoring their constitution. People in Tennessee think somehow the state constitution that prohibits the licensing of same-sex marriages, that that constitutional amendment somehows not valid, but no court's ever enjoined its enforcement and it's never been repealed by vote of the people. That's still the law of Tennessee. We're just pretending like it's not. And nobody's been willing to say, hey, the king has no clothes here. This is still the constitutional law of the state of Tennessee. And until the people repeal it or a court enjoins it, that's the law. We should obey it. And that's true in multiple states, Arkansas, Alabama, Kentucky, Mississippi, South Carolina, North Carolina, you know, who knows what all states that this is still true in. And their elected officials have just kind of ignored it. And nobody's asked, well, why are we ignoring it?
1: Well, David, with our ever-changing culture in courts, what kind of traction do you see the impact of God-given marriage having?
0: Well, that traction will come from the good Lord working through things like interviews with Byron Tyler and Janet Mefford and others that we're, we're talking with. It'll come from pastors getting the word out, and that's why these things are so important. People need to know that there is an effort, that all is not lost. And I think the people of Tennessee, when the question is put to them, do you believe marriage comes from the government or from God, they're going to say, well, it comes from God. Great. That's what we want to do here. We've got legislation to do that that will put marriage back in the hands of the people of Tennessee, take it out of the hands of the Supreme Court, and men and women will once again be able to get married. That's what we're going to do.
1: Will this be a vote by the people, David?
0: No, no, it'll be legislation.
1: So it has to go through a committee first, I'm assuming?
0: Go through committees, yeah, and back to the floor. Then the governor would have to sign it into law. Our premise is this. What we're doing is unconstitutional we just don't have the constitutional authority to issue a license to a same-sex couple the state constitution is still here it's still in force you're ignoring it and we're not going to let you ignore it anymore but you have to have some solution and so we're going to offer to you what we've called the marital contract at common law registration act and it acknowledges that men and women married under the common law and they have a right to marry that doesn't come from the government And what this law would do is it would say, if you have married, you can go to the county courthouse where you would have gotten your license, and you can file a document that states your names and your ages and, you know, various information so we can identify who it is. And it says, yes, I have declared my intention to be married and to be treated as as a husband and wife. And you'd sign it and you'd file it with the court, and you don't have to get a permission slip from the government. So we're saying this is not government-created marriage. It's God-given marriage, and we want you to be able to secure your marriage for people to know you're married. And so you go to the courthouse not to get permission to marry, but to file evidence that you have married.
1: Because, you know, in a marriage ceremony, the pastor usually concludes the ceremony by saying something like, by the powers given me by the state of Tennessee, I now pronounce you man and wife.
0: Right. And now the minister would say, by the power vested in me under God Almighty, I hereby acknowledge that you have made these commitments to one another in the sight of God and in the sight of man, and I now pronounce you married. And then you go down, and you'll file a piece of paper, and it'll say, we're married. And that's not the government giving you permission to marry. It's not the government discriminating against anybody, because this kind of marriage didn't come from government. It came from God.
1: How far away are you right now to seeing this make it to a committee?
0: Well, the legislature will reconvene in January, It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take your listeners calling their legislators, going to the website, godgivenmarriage.com, and and reading up on it and saying, hey, uh, where's my legislator? Where's my senator, my representative? I would like for you to support the Marital Contracted Common Law Recording Act. It's going to have to be a grassroots effort because uh, many legislators will be afraid of human rights campaign, boycotts, so it's going to have to be a bottom-up kind of thing. We probably won't see any movement on it until... February or March at at the earliest. So we have a few months to get people informed, to get them engaged, get them ready, get them contacting legislators, and that's what it's going to take.
1: What's the pulse right now, David, across the state of Tennessee, do you think, for God-given marriage?
0: I'll be honest, it's barely there because nobody knows that it exists yet much. Uh, We just launched this within the week, so we're just now starting to roll it out to the to the public. So I'm not discouraged that there wasn't an immediate, you know, resurrection from the dead, but we've at least now rolled the issue into the emergency room, and uh, we're getting out the paddles, and we're starting to uh, put some charges in it. So I think it will be very positive. I mean, I've, I've talked to a number of people when I talk to them about it. It's kind of like, thank God somebody's doing this. I wondered why nobody was doing this. This is just wrong. We shouldn't let the Supreme Court tell us what marriage is in the first place, but then we sure shouldn't let us tell them that it's contrary to what God has said marriage is. So I think what I'm finding is I meet with groups, as I go speak to groups, there's a sense of relief that there's something now we can do. Uh, We don't just have to sit here and, quote, take it and say, well, that's the way it is. I sure hope Jesus comes back soon. We actually can defend God-given marriage.
1: David Fowler, I commend you, my dear friend and brother, for taking the stand and taking the lead so that we can be encouraged, you know? I know in Scripture we see where the Apostle Paul, because of his suffering, other believers were encouraged to stand for Christ, stand for the truth.
0: Yeah, that's right. And and so the great thing is I, I'm nobody special. I'm not some big, you know, went to some whoop-de-doo law school, and I'm not some part of some huge big organization. This is a classic case of God choosing the weak and the small. I want the, the church to realize you don't have to be big, and you don't have to have big budgets, and you don't have to go to Harvard. You know, just do the right thing. Do the right thing that's in front of you. And I believe God's what he said in, in Chronicles, The eyes of the Lord rove to and fro through the whole earth to strongly support those whose hearts are wholly his. And I think he wants to show his glory by taking this huge thing, even as he did with Pharaoh, and say, I'm going to upset it. But do I have faith on the earth? Remember that prayer, or the story of the unfortunate widow, where where the lady just kept praying and praying, and finally the unrighteous judge gave her what she wanted, and Jesus said in there, if the unrighteous, unjust judge would finally relent, what would your heavenly Father, who is good, do for you? But will I find faith on earth? Let's ask the Lord to gird up our sense of faith here, and trust that He can do things. He can still move mountains. He can still swallow Pharaoh up into the sea, if He wants to. If we have faith and we trust him, I think sometimes, Byron, just to be honest, I know in my own life, I've looked at my own resources and said, well, I can't do that. I can't win. can't whatever it is. And he says, no, 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 no. It's impossible to please me without faith. So, David, when, when you start looking at your own resources, you're not operating in faith. And go ahead, do the best you can. Good luck. I'll be interested in watching. I think this is an opportunity for us to say, Lord, help my unbelief, help my faith.
1: It's a picture of divine enablement and human endeavor meshed together.
0: That's the best way to put it right there, my friend.
1: The website is godgivenmarriage.com. We encourage all of our Bot Radio Network listeners be informed. We need prayer support. Yes. It's not enough just to make your voice known. There needs to be an active work of prayer. And so we encourage you to pray. Any couple of really quick prayer requests, David, about this?
0: One, pray for our governor, because ultimately if we pass a bill, he's going to be the tip of the spear to sign it or veto it or not do something, and he'll be under tremendous pressure. Be praying for the people who will sponsor this bill, that they will have courage and not be beaten down. I would say pray for pastors. It's amazing the number of pastors who will pat me on the back and say, God bless you, I'm all for you, but I don't want to say anything about it because they're afraid they'll upset people in the congregation. So we need to be praying for the church and for our pastors to have boldness and courage on this issue.
1: David Fowler, thank you for joining BOT Radio Network. Again, thank you for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom, for marriage and the family across the state of Tennessee. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Friends, that's all the time we have. I'm Byron Tyler. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.